Just a brief announcement before we dig into today's message. We have, perhaps you know, a somewhat large staff for a Catholic parish, and currently we're in a period of transition as we add a few new position and seek to fill some others. If you think you might like to be a part of our dynamic, creative, and motivated team, if you'd like to be a part of all of this and get to know the sheer joy of working for me, <laughs> check out our website. End of announcement. We are in the second week of a series considering the inherent complexity of life. The inherent complexity of life. We began last week considering the wisdom of Jesus when it comes to life. He is generally considered the greatest sage in history, and alone among all the great sages, he claimed to be God. So his wisdom is uniquely worth following. Life is complicated, but Jesus cuts through the complexity with simple yet profound wisdom. He offers us wisdom that is simple. It's simple to see and understand. It's just, well, it's just not easy to apply. It's not easy because it challenges us to grow emotionally and spiritually. It's not easy because it requires discipline and humility. It's not easy because it demands us to change our perspective and our focus. His wisdom for living is not easy at first, but over time it becomes easier as it sets us up for more successful living and healthier relationships. Last week we looked at what to do when we're involved in conflict, and we learned Jesus offers entirely straightforward direction. Go to the person in question and sort it out with them one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, bring other people along to help moderate the conversation. Jesus advises repeated effort at reconciliation, but you know what? Most conflicts can and do get resolved in the initial effort. Such is the power of what Jesus is advising us to do. How much less drama would there be in our families or neighborhoods? How much less drama would there be at work or school if everyone followed Jesus' teaching? Today, we're going to look at the issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Last week was about resolving ongoing conf conflict. Forgiveness is different. Forgiveness concerns past conflict or offense that remains unresolved. Forgiveness is about resolving it in our own hearts. It's a very simple concept. It's just the hardest thing of all to do, as we'll see in today's Gospel reading. Now, most people would say that they're forgiving people. They want to be forgiving people. They don't want to think of themselves as unforgiving. In a general and vague sense, that's true. It sounds like a good thing to be a forgiving person. But in the concrete, when we think back to specific offenses and consider the offender, it's much more difficult 
to accept and embrace. It's much more difficult to be a forgiving person. There are some people whose very name stirs up anger in our heart, oftentimes given expression in cynicism, sarcasm, bitterness. Most people would like to think of themselves as forgiving people, whether they are or whether they're not, but there are others who actually pride themselves on their unwillingness to forgive. Lack of forgiveness they see as a sign of strength. But as we'll try and make clear today, it takes a great deal of strength to forgive. It takes a strength of character. And here's another thing. While we saw last week that Jesus urges us to repeated efforts at reconciliation, in some cases, reconciliation might not be achievable. In some cases, reconciliation isn't even advisable. On the other hand, forgiveness always is. Forgiveness is always, always achievable and always within our grasp. Jesus teaches forgiveness throughout the Gospels, but he addresses the issue most completely in the 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. It comes in the form of a story he told in response to a question from Peter. And here's what happened. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? So Peter's heard Jesus talk many times about forgiving others, so now he wants to know what's the limit supposed to be. Seven times seems pretty generous to him. Does to me. But Jesus challenges that thought. Jesus answered, I say to you not seven times, but 77 times. What does that mean? Well, it means more times than you can possibly keep count of. That's remarkable enough, but he makes it much more re remarkable through his story. A story that plays out in three scenes with three unexpected twists to the plot. Take a look. The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus constantly tells parables or stories about the kingdom of heaven to help us see this world from God's perspective. The kingdom of heaven is the true kingdom, the real kingdom that will last forever, and it's a very different kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. So the kingdom of heaven is like a king who settled accounts with his servants. The king is owed a debt from his servants, and now he's asking them to repay their debts. Unlike our time, in ancient society, debts could be called in any time. And here comes the first twist. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his child, and all his property in payment of his debt. So, a servant is brought in who owed 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well, 
A single talent was worth 6,000 days' wages of a common laborer. Let me say that again. A single talent was worth 6,000 days' wages of a common laborer. That means 10,000 talents would have taken a laborer 200,000 years to earn. 200,000 years. In other words, this is an absurd amount of money, an obscene amount of money, a silly amount of money, an amount that couldn't even be fathomed. Jesus' audience would have laughed out loud at the idea. The story goes on. Since there's no way to pay back such a debt, the king decides to cut his losses and have his servant and his family sold into slavery, an unfortunate but common practice in that culture, leading to another twist, a second twist. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of the servant let him go and forgave his debt. The servant falls down, begging for pity and patience, and that makes sense. He had no other option. He was desperate. His actions make sense, but his statement is sheer nonsense. In the light of his debt, it's crazy talk. But then comes that second twist to the story. The king responds with incredible kindness and unbelievable mercy and generosity. The master doesn't make him pay anything back. Nothing. Not a dime. He forgives the debt completely. Debt canceled. That's what forgiveness is. It's simply canceling a debt. When someone has sinned against you, they do owe you a debt of service. They really do. They've taken something from you. They stole money from you. They stole your job or reputation. They stole your confidence or self-esteem. Sin creates a debt-debtor relationship. Sin always takes something away from someone else. Sometimes it's a tangible thing. Sometimes it's intangible. But when someone sins against us, they diminish us. That's why we say, he owes me an apology. She owes me an apology. But forgiveness cancels the debt. It's not saying you weren't, weren't wronged. It's not excusing their actions. It's not saying they didn't take something from you. They did. Forgiveness is saying you are owed. That's established. But the debt is canceled. End of story. And that should have been the end of this story. All's well that ends well. But here comes that third twist. When that servant left the king, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller sum. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Jesus is such a master storyteller that in just a few words, he paints this clear picture. A servant who's just been forgiven a huge debt found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a small sum of money. He found him. Don't miss this. In other words, he didn't just run into him. He actually goes out looking for him. Then, when he finds him, he assaults the guy, violently demanding his money back. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, 
be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. The difference in the two scenarios is simple and it's striking. The first guy could never have paid his debt back. The second guy most certainly could have and would have, but wasn't given the chance. The hypocrisy is stunning, shocking really. In just a few sentences, Jesus moves his audience from laughter to outrage. Now when his fellow servant saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to the master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? It's a rhetorical question. Of course he should have. Instead, he focused on what he was owed instead of what he had been given. Then in his anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. Until he should pay back the whole debt. Let me ask you a question. When was he going to do that? I mean, paying back the whole debt, think about it. When was he going to pay back 10,000 talents? Never, right? This is a life sentence. This is a sentence to life in prison, which brings us to a chilling final warning that concludes this story. So will my heavenly Father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. From your heart. Unless you forgive the debt you are owed from the core of who you are, you will live a life of torment. Wow. Just wow. I think it was Mark Twain who once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. If this passage doesn't bother you, you're not listening. It tells us there should be, there can be no unforgiveness in us. None. God gives no quarter, no space to unforgiveness. Think about it this way. In a parable, someone is usually God and someone is usually us. The king, of course, is God. And Jesus says, we're like that unforgiving servant standing before God with a huge debt. A huge debt because of our sin and selfishness. A huge debt that we could never repay. But we don't have to. Our faith tells us God has canceled our debt. In his mercy and love, he sent his son to die for us, to pay our debt for us. Christians are people who focus not on what we're owed, but on what we've been given. We live our lives in the shadow of the cross, not focused on what we're owed, but on what we've been given. We come here to church, and we literally stand before the king on the cross, who is saying from the cross, Debt canceled. And knowing that, we cannot, we must not, we dare not do any less. We can and must forgive our debtors from our heart.
So how do you do that? How do you forgive from your heart? Well, frankly, I'm still working on it. But here are three things I've tried. You might want to try. Find a close friend to stand in for the person who owes you and talk to them as if you were talking to that person, naming everything you're owed in as much detail as is helpful. Or write a letter to the person, a letter that you don't send. Write out all the things they owe you, then write debt canceled, and then burn the letter. Burning the letter is extremely therapeutic. Or have a conversation with an empty chair. I do this all the time. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't admit that to everybody, but I do. I do it all the time. It's very helpful. And there, tell the chair, who is now your debtor, everything that they owe you, everything that they've done wrong. Yell at the chair if you want to, but don't, don't burn it. <laughs> and maybe you need to do it a few times. Maybe you need to do it over and over again. Once isn't enough. Seventy times seven, Jesus sa says, sometimes that's how many times it takes to really forgive someone from your heart. You're talking yourself into it. That's what you're doing. It might sound silly or unnecessary or overly simplistic. It's certainly simple. It's just not easy. But you know what? It's so much easier than the burden and baggage, the bondage, really, of unforgiveness. As has been said by others, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and realizing that prisoner was you. Hey everyone, thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.